John chapter 14. And this morning we're going to be focusing on verses 4 to 7. I don't know about you, but whenever I find myself um, overwhelmed with life, you know, facing challenging circumstances or living in the midst of tough times, one of the tendencies or one of the realities that takes place within me, spiritually speaking, is I stop thinking clearly, spiritually speaking. I stop thinking straight. It's like when I've got a troubled heart, everything overwhelms me, and my emotions take hold of me, and they start to rule the day. And so there's things that I know to be true of God and what God has done and what God has promised, but in the, mo- in the midst of a trial, it's like I experience spiritual amnesia. I forget everything I know. Well, I mention that because we come to this passage and we know that the disciples of Jesus as are gathered in the upper room. They were deeply troubled of heart. They were overwhelmed with emotion. Jesus had just said to them that one of them was going to betray him. He said to Peter that he was going to deny him. And he's also said to them that he's going to depart from them and where he's going, they cannot come. And these disciples are deeply troubled. And when you're deeply troubled of heart, you start to forget what you know. In fact, you can become deaf to what people are saying to you, blind to what is sitting in front of you. And that's what happens here as we're going to see. We're looking this morning at the question that Thomas asked Jesus and Jesus' response to Thomas. And what we're going to see is that Thomas and the other disciples, everything Jesus has just said in verses 1 to 3, it's gone in one ear and out the other ear. Remember what Jesus said last week? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I'd have told you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to where I am, that you may be with me also. And and here's the thing Jesus has just said to them, Guys, you need lively faith in me, and you also need to live with this living hope that you're going to be in my Father's presence with me forevermore. But it's gone in one ear and out the other ear. And so let's pick up things in verse 4, and we're going to look at Thomas's question, first of all, and then Jesus' response. And the big idea of this morning is this, Jesus is the only way to the Father. So Thomas's question comes about because of a statement that Jesus makes in verse 4. You know the way to where I am going. Interestingly, in some of the early manuscripts of John's gospel, there's a longer version of that verse that says, you know the place where I'm going and you know the way. And here's the thing, the disciples absolutely did know the place to where Jesus was going, and they absolutely did know the way. As I said, Jesus had just told them, believe in me. That's the way. And and, and the way is that Jesus is going and he's going to come back and he's going to take them to where he is. And he's just told them where? In my Father's house, in heaven, you have a dwelling place prepared for you. And yet, Thomas here pipes up and says, Lord, 
We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, I suspect that Thomas here, when he, he, he gave voice to this thought that was going on in his mind, it was also because all the other disciples were feeling the exact same way. Notice that Thomas uses the plural, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, what I love about Thomas here is that he becomes a spokesman for the disciples. I wonder if that's got anything to do with the fact that Jesus has just said to their former spokesman, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's got nothing to say. And now they put Thomas up to it. And, and Thomas, there's something just endearingly honest about the way he asks this question. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So that's Thomas' question. Now let's spend the rest of our time looking at Jesus' response. And the first thing I want you to know, this is a master class in pastoral care. The first thing I want you to know about Jesus' response to Thomas is he doesn't berate him. Is he doesn't mock him. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't say, Thomas, I've told you the way. I've told you where I'm going. I've told you this many times. In the journey up to Jerusalem, do you not remember me saying, we're going up to Jerusalem, and there the Son of Man is going to die. It's going to rise in three days. He told the disciples time and time again what was about to happen, where he was going. He was going to pro- pro- make the way possible for sinners to be brought back in relationship with the Holy God, and he was going to take them to that place one day. Now, what Jesus chooses to do, and this is honestly a master class in pastoral care, after letting Thomas give voice to his doubt and his fear and his honest question, Jesus now reminds him of the truth that he knew that Thomas knew. But he says it in such a way so that he will hear it loudly and clearly. Now, we come to verse 6, and if you've grown up in church, we come sort of with a, with a, a preconceived idea of what it's all about. Because we've heard it preached on so many times. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the way I suspect most of us have heard that preached is evangelistically. If you want to come to God, you've got to come through the Lord Jesus Christ, because there's no way to the Father except through him. And that's right, and that's a legitimate application of this text. The only problem is, when Jesus said this to his disciples, he wasn't saying this to men who didn't believe in him. Nor was he saying this in an apologetic sense. He wasn't trying to persuade skeptics of the exclusive truth claims of Christianity. Now, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus was saying this pastorally. Jesus was saying this truth because he wanted to bring it to bear on troubled hearts. He said it as a means of comfort. And so as we come to hear this verse, let's, let's leave at the door the, the evangelistic application for a minute, and let's come and enter into what Jesus is saying to these disciples who are overwhelmed with emotion. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. And interestingly, you you could look at this verse in two different ways, the the first part of this verse in two different ways. Jesus is making three different claims. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Or, very simply, you could see that there's one major claim. And that's the way I want to take it. 
He's saying, I am the way. It's me. Thomas, you say he don't know the way? I am the way. I am the only way to God. I'm the only way to heaven. Now, what's fascinating is if, if you've been here for our series in John's Gospel, there's been many a conversation that's been very similar to this one. So if you think back to Jesus talking to Nicodemus, they have a conversation about the new birth. And Nicodemus hears only on an earthly plane. How is it possible for someone to be born again back in their parent? How is that possible? Or he's having a conversation with a Samaritan woman and they're talking about water at the well. And the woman, she thinks that Jesus is talking about physical water, but he's talking about the living waters. And here there's Thomas and he's asking Jesus, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. He, he wants a concrete route. He wants a map. What's the way? And Jesus says, Thomas, I just said it before in verse 2. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you there. Now I'm going to say it again. I am the way. Now, what Jesus does here is brilliant. He fills his disciple with what is staring him in the face, a vision of reality. You want to know the way to God? The way to God is me, says Jesus. Now, so it's not lost in us, just remember what they're doing. They're sitting around a meal table. The meal table is a Passover feast. Jesus is sitting center table because he, as we know, is going to fulfill this feast because he's the Passover lamb who's come to take away the sins of his people. How does Jesus make it possible for sinners to come into relationship with the holy God? By shedding his blood so that the wrath and the judgment of God will not land in his people, but he himself takes it in himself. That is, the way, that is how Jesus is the way, because he is the Passover lamb. Don't you just love this little interaction? Thomas, we don't know the way. Jesus, Thomas, I am the way. I don't know if you've ever, you have this experience. I have a lot, and I don't know what's going on. I might just be losing my marbles. I'm always in a rush heading out, right? And I do that final check. I need my specs, my phone, and my keys. And so in a mad panic, I'll turn up, turn around from the front door and I'll run upstairs and I'll start searching in vain, only to find that my specs are on my head, my phone is in my hand, and my keys are in the pocket. It's like I had them all along, but I'm just in such a rush. I'm so overwhelmed by the emotion of trying to get out the door, I forget what's so obvious. And here's Thomas, he's overwhelmed, and the other disciples with a troubled heart. They can't get it clear in their head. One of them's going to betray him. One of them's... Their, 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 their spokesman, Peter's going to deny him. Jesus is going to depart from them. And he said to them, I'm going to take you to the place. And they couldn't hear it. But now Jesus says, listen clearly, I am the way. Now, now, how can Jesus say that he alone is the way to God? Well, because he alone is the one who laid down his life as a atoning sacrifice, but also because he adds these two clauses. I am the truth and the life. If you read John's gospel beginning in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, you see that John gives us right at the outset the heads up as to who Jesus is. 
John chapter 1, verse 4, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the source of life, the fountain of life, the giver of life. John 1, verse 17, truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth, the living embodiment of God. He's the word of God, the word that became flesh. He is the truth of God. You want to know what God's like? Jesus is. You want to trust God? Well, Jesus says what he means, and he says what he means because he means what he says, because he is the truth. Where's the life of God to be found in Jesus? Where's the truth of God to be found in Jesus? Why? Because Jesus is the way to God. Now, Thomas said two things. Jesus, we don't know the way. But Jesus, we, we don't know where you're going. And that's where the second part of verse 6 comes in. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, we are hardwired when we hear that verse. Jesus is making an exclusive truth claim. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. That's absolutely true. But I think in this context, what Jesus is saying, he's given his disciples who have got troubled hearts, he's given them the greatest comfort in the world. The destination is the Father. And because you know that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one goes to the Father except through me. He's giving them the security and the confidence that their destination is heaven, the near presence of God. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. The Bible begins with Adam and Eve, our first parents, walking in the Garden of Eden in the near presence of God. All of us were made in the image of God. All of us were made to have fellowship with God. All of us were made to live in the presence of God. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, they were evicted from the presence of God. They were evicted from their home in the garden, and they became homeless. And ever since then, every single one of us have been longing and searching for home. Longing to be in the place where we could be in the Father's presence. You know what makes home, home? It's not just your physical home, it's often the people within your home. And if you grew up in a home where you've got a, a mom and a dad, and it was a loving and a caring home, what makes home, home is often your parents. Because you know, if you go home, you'll get that welcome, you'll be received and loved, you'll be treasured and cherished, and you'll receive their their unconditional care. Heaven is heaven because of God. Heaven is our home because that's where we can live in the presence of God. And Jesus, the Passover lamb, has made it possible for sinners to dwell in the holy presence of God. It's the wonder of the gospel. Now, I need to ask all of us this question. John Piper wrote this amazing book called God is the gospel to drive home the point that heaven is heaven because that's where God is. And John Piper in that book, he asks this question. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you've ever liked and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, 
Could you be satisfied with heaven if God was not there? If you could have heaven and had everything that the Bible promises to have, but God was not there, could you have heaven? And if you answer that question and say yes, that means you've never understood the good news of Christianity. God is the gospel. God is the good news. It's all about God. And here's Jesus, and he's saying to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. It's this incredible statement, announcement to these disciples who had forgotten what was staring them in the face. The answer, the means to which they could go home was Jesus Christ himself. Now, Jesus goes on and makes a statement, and I have to be really honest with you. I read this statement multiple times this week, and I still couldn't understand what he was getting at. So I, I really had to go to the commentaries and try and understand. He says next, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And the thing that really like, just got me stuck there is he starts with that word, if. If you'd known me. Like, hold on a minute. Jesus, don't the disciples know you? Like, Simon Peter confessed you as the Christ. What do you mean, if you had known me? Well, well, thankfully, Don Carson was really helpful here, and he said, the sense this could also be translated as, if you've come to know me, since you've come to know me, you know my father also. Listen to Don Carson. The assumption is that since the disciples have come to know Jesus, that was a bad stuck at, he's affirming that, what they must understand is that this knowledge of Jesus is the entree to the knowledge of the Father. Since you have known me, if you had known me, you would have known my Father. Now, Jesus, to, tr- to, to comfort troubled hearts, makes it absolutely clear that they do know him. Look at verse, the end of verse 7. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. Now I've preached countless sermons through John's gospel. And there's been mornings where I've preached them coming here. And I've thought to myself, I'm going to preach the same sermon again. And I don't know if the congregation realize it. The sermon I've constantly been preaching through John's gospel. I don't know if you've, you've, you've picked up on it. Is Jesus continually says, he and the father are one. John 5, John 7, John 8. Statements throughout John 9, John 12, John 13. And now again, sorry guys, John 14. But when you unlock this, you unlock the wonder of the gospel. Jesus says to his disciples, all that you're longing for, all that you're looking for. If you know me, you know the Father. If you know me, you've seen the Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. 
And, and what makes this statement so staggering, why, why this is such comfort to troubled hearts, is because Jesus, when he hangs on the cross, when he, he makes the way, Jesus, when the, the life of God dies, when Jesus, the truth, is scorned and mocked by his enemies with lies, Jesus, in that moment, is showcasing the reality of who God is. God is love, and he loves to draw sinners to himself that will believe in him. And Jesus says to the disciples, listen, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Here's the point. Trust or believe in God, the Father. Believe also in me. His point, I and the Father are one. How do you know you're believing in God, the Father? You believe in God, the Son. Verse 7, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've known me, you've known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Now, this is the medicine. This is the remedy for troubled hearts. Jesus. Jesus. And, and if I'm honest, and I go back to my opening statement, when I find myself overwhelmed with life, when I find myself in the midst of challenging circumstances, you know, it's not just truth that I forget. It's Jesus that I forget. Jesus, the one who's one with the Father, the one who I know and who reveals the Father to me. And the reason I say this is a master class in pastoral care is because Jesus, he lets his disciples say what's going on in their heads and hearts and it reveals that they're, they're not hearing him, they're not understanding him. He tells them the truth that they already know, that they've heard countless times before, but he says it in a way that's fresh. And Jesus, he doesn't just remind them of the truth. He's going to show them the truth. He's going to show them the life. He's going to show them the way when he hangs on that cross. And so let me go back to verse 6 and say, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the only way to God the Father is through trusting in Jesus. Because he's the truth and he's the life. And no one comes to God except through him. And Jesus, this isn't the claim of Christianity in the sense that this isn't my claim, this is his claim. And if you are a Christian, and if you do have a troubled heart, can I say this? Jesus understands that when you're overwhelmed with life, that your tendency is to forget him. But he doesn't want you to forget him. He wants you to know him and remember him. And I think it's so fitting that this morning we come to the Lord's table. Because this is one of the means we never forget him. We do this in remembrance of him. We do this until he comes again to remember that he was the Passover lamb who shed his blood so that it would be possible for us to come to God forevermore. So let us come and let us remember who Jesus is. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you know each single person in this church this morning. 
As our faces differ, so do our needs differ. So do the realities that are going on within differ. Lord, some here this morning are overwhelmed with life, are anxious, are weighed down, are heavy laden. And we thank you, Father, that in your word, you delight to remind us of the truth that we are so prone to forget, that all that we need and all that we're longing for and all that we're looking for, it's found in him. And so, Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ who need you, who need a fresh vision of you, who need to hear your word come in power to speak to their troubled hearts and souls. And Lord, for those of us who, 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 who are right now perhaps in a, a season of life where it, think, it feels like all things are good and great, we pray that we would never forget what we've heard this morning so that when the tough times come and the challenging circumstances take over, we wouldn't let our emotions rule the day, but we would keep our grip on Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those who are here this morning and who don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, that they would come and hear this glorious announcement and this glorious invitation that he is all that they're longing for, all that they're looking for, and he is the only way to you, Father. Seal these words to our hearts. Seal these words to our heads. And we pray that you'd help us now as we remember. In Jesus' name, amen.